0: Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Good evening, gentlemen. Nice to have you both back. We're not going to waste any time today because I know, Marty, you're on a limited time schedule, but today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up kind of where we left off just the other day with you. We're going to pick up on Agenda 2030, and this is essentially going to be part two. We're going to get as far as we can again, uh, and then we're going to um, see if we have to go to a part three. I hope not, but nonetheless, uh, let's go ahead and get right into it, so we're not going to waste any time. I know you're both doing fine, so we're not going to waste any time with all that. But we left off at uh, number six, right? Which was clean water and sanitation, by the way, just all right, let me let me pretext for this. So for anyone that hasn't figured out where we are, we're doing a multi-part series right now on UN Agenda 2030. We did Agenda 2030 part one. You can follow along with us up to that point. If you need to, you go back and listen to it. If not, if you've already heard it, you can pick up right where we're at. There's a 17 part set of goals. And we're on part number six. So we're going to pick up here where we left off at the end of part one. Number six, clean water and sanitation. This is another aspect that they're exploring. And specifically, you wanted to look at an individual from the Nestle Corporation, the head of the Nestle Corporation. And he was essentially making a statement about water back in 2013. It was, uh, what's his name? Peter Brabeck. He's in a documentary talking about hum- or how water is uh, a human right. Although I think in the context that he was explaining it, he's saying that it's not a human right. I don't know. But we can listen to it and we can kind of decode it uh, and then just kind of uh, go through what he was saying. But essentially, what the United Nations is looking at is they're saying that essentially 1 in 4 healthcare facilities lack basic water services 3 in 10 people lack access to safely managed drinking water services and 6 in 10 people lack access to safely managed sanitation facilities and then it goes on down to talk about uh, basic sanitation services and pollution and uh, how many people die because of uh, they don't have access to these things and Essentially, they're talking about how this is going to be a thing that is available for everyone. They say, ensure access to water and sanitation for all. Now, this goes along, I think, with no poverty. Uh, again, you're offering a pie in the
1: sky solution here. So where would you like to start with this, morning? The reason this particular part of the agenda grabbed my notice was under goal six, assure the availability of sustainable management of water and sanitation for all, 6.1 by 2030, achieve universal and equitable access to safe and affordable drinking water for all. If this really was the um, philanthropic, uh, all-caring organization that they pretend to be, then the word affordable would have just been left out of that sentence. And that reminded me of, again, I think you just said his name, Braybeck, the CEO of Nestle, and his statement's, which on the face of them, on the face of what he said, sounds like he's being perfectly reasonable. But he tries to negate the argument for free drinking water by use of uh, the fact that the vast majority of water per capita used in the United States, for instance, goes on things other than personal hygiene, hydration, you know, cleanliness around the home Mm -hmm. the majority of that water is used for other purposes Uh, and it's kind of like he's found a loophole that will allow him and his organization which i think is the fifth biggest provider of foodstuffs on the face of the planet to have the moral high ground when buying up water sources lakes reservoirs that kind of thing i think that water uh drinking water safe drinking water should be an unassailable right and and it should be free it's not free in the western world we know we have to pay for it because we can't go and dig a well or take water direct from a river or any of those things because we're prohibited from doing it by law whereas in the developing world that is exactly how they get their water but this man i think has got his eyes on their water
0: Let's take a listen to what he had to say, uh, and then we can, uh, we can talk about it. Because this statement that he, he puts out here was extremely controversial, and he had to uh, come out and issue another statement after that about what he actually meant. So let's take a listen to what he had to say.
2: Well, I think um, that's a very, very crucial question. And it is being brought forward by some NGOs in a, in a very simplistic manner. They are saying water is a human right, therefore it's not a commercial material. My answer to this is, yes, you're right, water is a human right. The 25 liters of water that we need as a minimum as a person in order to live decently which is my four to five liters of liquid, which I have to take to me, which is about the four or five liters for the cleaning. It's about the four or five liters that we need in order to clean the dishes. Yes, this is a human right. But I don't think it's a human right to fill up my swimming pool, to wash my cars, to water the golf course, or even to water off the garden. I don't think this is a human right. And if we do not understand that the water which is a human right, is the smallest part of the water that we are using. And that the big parts, which can be, just to give you a figure, I mentioned we need about 25 liters per day per capita. Well, we are using in the United States about 400 liters per day. So this 380 liters of water, I don't think this is human right, and this should have a price. Why? Because if we do not put the price, we will not make the investments which are necessary in order to use the most precious of the resources that we have in a more
1: responsible manner. The man, when he made that statement uh, and his subsequent retraction, has still got the same plan in mind. And that is to grab as much of that absolutely vital natural resource as possible and charge people for it. You know, I'm sure you've got, I know you have, you've got people in, in the Midwest who have their own wells on their property. There, they, There is no mains water. So everything comes from a well that's been dug. He would put a price on that. He doesn't think that that rancher, that farmer has got the right to extract water from the artesian wells and use it on his land here in the UK. And in fact, in most of the world, 90% of the land is in 10% of the population's ownership. So all those rivers and water and lakes and reservoirs are already on somebody else's land. They're already owned by somebody else. And it wouldn't matter how thirsty you were, if you went onto somebody's land to drink from their water source, you would be prosecuted for trespass if they press charges. So, you know, it's not free to anyone in the West. It is still free to people in developing countries where unscrupulous business hasn't grabbed hold and taken
3: control of those sources of fresh water something else uh, to point out is he's he's saying 25 liters yes
0: he's saying between uh, according to the world this is according to the world health, he's going off World Health Organization numbers is what he's doing uh, a human being uh, they, and they say a human being needs between 15 and 20 liters of water a day to maintain basic health and hygiene and this is also referred okay. to as what he required as or what he
3: called as the basic water requirement okay so to, to put that into freedom units that's five gallons of water and that's how I don't do know that's to do everything. That's to do everything. Uh, dishes, laundry, shower, everything, a- a- including what you drink. I don't know how the hell you do that with five gallons of water, but uh, that 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 is completely absurd. But I mean, we already pay a price for water as is. I mean, it's, it's fairly reasonable unless you want to water your garden, as he says. And in which case you're around here uh, because it's city water, your water bill is going to skyrocket. So... We already kind of have a system of what he's talking about. The only difference is is it's going to be uh, the first 25 liters or six gallons is going to be free, five, six gallons. So we already have that system. I, I would prefer water to be free, but I also understand that there's a cost to run desalination plants or to run water purification systems. So so I, I'm okay with paying a small price, but not this... Um, strong arming nonsense that they do to where if you want to water your lawn or something you're going to be paying four hundred dollars for uh your, your water bill
2: or to wash That's your car
3: absurd.
1: or to fill up your
0: you know,
3: pool or to water your right. garden
1: i've lived in a country whose entire water supply comes from desalination plants and do you know what in that country water is completely free to everybody admittedly it's an oil rich country with quite a small population however they managed to provide free, clean, and safe—you know—safe drinking water for free. So, if a small country like the United Arab Emirates can do that,
3: why can't the larger countries? Is it free? That's my question. Is there—is there—is it coming out of taxes? Is it coming out of like—is it really free in the sense of it costs nothing? That's basically what what my point is: is no government taxing on it to pay for it. Because, you know, that they like to push that around here in the U.S., that you pay a tax for it, and then they say it's free when it's not. You're paying for it. Uh, oh, yeah, you know. yeah. Here in the
1: U.K., we're very used to stealth taxes. But in the United Arab Emirates, they've only just introduced income tax. And there's a lot of fuss about it, and it's at a very, very low percentage. Uh, but bearing in mind that a lot of the expats and the the locals are earning you know high figure sums. So up until last year, absolutely free. Now you could say that it's incorporated inside the income tax, and and that uh, it's uh, it's it's being paid for in in that way. But they they've got massive desalination plants, and they produce enough water. They've also got um, stores of water underneath the desert that have been there for thousands of years but they don't extract that water they choose to use the desalination plants my point on this is up until recently, we paid a standing fee for our water, about 45 to £50 pounds per month for wastewater to be taken away and treated from the property via the drainage system. And the other part, again, about 40 to £50 pounds for the supply of fresh water. We've just gone on to a water meter. They're encouraging everyone to go onto water meters to conserve water so that they, we change wow. our behaviour, you know, and... In a household where there's very few people, it is probably cheaper to go onto the water meter. But you've only got to have, um, you know, a requirement to take a few baths as opposed to showers per week. Let's say you've got achy arthritic joints and you'll soon find that you'll be paying more and more for your water. So this is this is
0: the point. It's all, all everything about this agenda is designed to make you take less, but pay
1: more for it. Uh huh. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a way of making us in the West, in the developed world, I, I should say the developed world because there are developed countries outside of the West, is to make us change our behaviors and still keep paying the same or if not more for what we are receiving less of.
0: Uh, let's do a rundown here real quick of some of these goals. Did any of these goals, uh, the target goals, did any of those jump out to you guys? Because uh, a couple of them here are kind of okay right here uh, achieve universal and equitable access to safe and affordable drinking water for all okay b- b- yeah that's six that's three. fine six three yes that was uh, improve water quality by reducing pollution eliminating dumping and minimizing release of hazardous chemicals and materials having the proportion of untreated wastewater, and substantially increasing recycling and safe reuse globally. That sounds good on the surface, but I'm
3: betting you're going to explain why that's a little bit more sinister. So reducing pollution, that one. OK, so on the surface, I'm, I, I agree. I, I want to reduce pollution, right. uh, uh, reduce or eliminate dumping altogether, you know, minimize hazardous chemicals and materials. Yeah, I'm, I'm for those kind of things. The problem is when you say reduce pollution, what they're meaning is. Coming in with a sweeping regulation that requires businesses uh, across the board, including um, just normal citizens, your your personal home, to reduce emissions in all areas. The problem I have with that is it's not a, let's create an engineer something that can function more efficiently with less waste. What they're doing is you have to reduce what you're doing. We're taking away from you. We're removing something from you. And that is where I, I have a bit of an issue. It's it's not, we, we don't take a step back in progress. Progress is moving forward. So I agree with the the general idea, but they're saying like, and the other one, having the proportion of untreated wastewater, that just, uh, I mean, that uh, on the surface, I agree with as well. And hopefully all of their meaning is having more uh, water treatment plants, you know, or, or something, you know, waste uh, treatment plants. So I, that's what I'm hoping they mean, but the 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 other thing that I think is largely missed, for example, California, they don't have any desalination plans. Why?
0: <laughs> they I refused mean, them. That's why they yeah, refused them. Yeah, they were they, they, they were proposed. They, yeah, they they were proposed 30 years ago by the state Republican Party, if you can imagine they even have one. And the Democrat Party, which runs the state, says no, that's a waste of money. We don't want to do that. We want to put all the money towards social programs. And what's it done? It's caused a massive increase in what I would argue to be a failure of 6.2 in the goals of this, which is achieving access to adequate and equitable sanitation and hygiene for all and end open defecation. Have you been to San Francisco or Los Angeles lately? Have you been to either one of those cities? They're hell holes. The, the city is an open, it's a, it's, uh, I, I can't say what I want to say, but people get the idea. We've talked about the unsanitary conditions in the cities. And so like these are people that support Agenda 2030 that run the cities. They run the state. And yet they're talking about ending this in here. One doesn't match with the other. One does not match with the other. So, yes, they were proposed with the idea to do the desalination plants. And the state party said, no, uh, we're not going to do that. And what's it done? It's it's droughts. It's uh, it's created more of the the social decay and it just it's foolish. It's, it's
3: foolish. Well, and he talks droughts, about. Yeah, six, four. They cover droughts right there. Uh, areas suffering. Oh, yeah. They want to reduce the areas that are suffering from water scarcity. Again, mm-hmm. if you had desalination plants uh, in California's case, you would be using less of the uh, water from rivers. That would be allowed to flow to the farmers, and um, well, even other states. They would be able to use, utilize the water more. So that would solve the water scarcity problem without increasing prices. Without, I mean, you're creating something that's more efficient without having to decrease uh, your use. For example, I mean that that's the hmm. bottom line. Is try to tell someone to stop doing something. Right, you're gonna make your life more inconvenient. Okay, that that's what we're gonna have you to do. Okay, try to get people to boycott anything. Good luck with that. Yeah. Good so luck. instead, why don't we engineer? Why don't we create something that's more efficient that works better? And that that that's just my thing. Is just <laughs> quit telling them to to, yeah. to boycott and and reduce ourselves back to the stone age, and instead engineer our way out.
0: This is all about. And I said this when we talked about uh, the, um, uh, the emerging pathways uh, towards a post-COVID-19 recovery reset and, and uh, recovery from the World Economic Forum, which, by the way, Mr. Brabeck is a member of, by the way, just throwing that out there. This is all about losers picking winners. That's what this is. They're going to pick the winners and losers, and they're losers themselves. That that guy's not a successful person. He's a loser inside. He's a very hollow, nihilistic degenerate, along with all these other people. You know, I'm, I'm in a really bad mood after looking at these, these disgusting individuals over the last few days and how they are exploiting this, this COVID agenda to usher in this garbage to set us mm-hmm. back 100 years. They're not trying to move us forward. They're trying to move us backwards. Innovation, true innovation, and free market prosperity can get us out of this problem. Not these idiots picking winners and losers, using governments to instruct them. That's not how this works. That's not what built Western civilization. That's not what built the free market. That's not what built prosperity. That's not what helped us get ourselves out of the dark ages. This is what they're trying to do with all this. They're trying to take us back to a dark age. And if you think that I'm making that up and I'm just rattling off uh, something and it's hyperbolic. No. No because we're going to talk about it later on this week. We're going to talk more about the World Economic Forum and what their plans are for what you could call um, a return to normal. And it's it's quite disturbing. But uh, due to the interest of time, let's move along. Affordable and clean energy. They say that... Now, when I say they, we're talking about, again, the UN, because we're all agreed on that when we say they, uh, unless we're speaking something different. Uh, they say that 13% of the global population still lacks access to modern electricity. Three billion people rely on wood, coal, charcoal, or animal waste for cooking and heating. Energy is the dominant contributor to climate change. Oh, yes, of course, because we, we, we can't be using any energy. Accounting for around 60% of the total global greenhouse gas emissions. They, see, they're trying to make... It's still about carbon at the end of this, because it's all about how that's bad. Like, you can't have any carbon. Well, carbon is the basis of all life. You have to have CO2. See, they may, they've, they've turned CO2 into a poison, and it's not. Do you understand that plants breathe co2 they actually I, you know what i actually had to explain that to somebody once someone that was beating me over the head with this climate change and you you know man-made climate change stuff all day long and i said do you understand that plants breathe co2 they didn't even know that i had to explain that to them anyway but let's go on to this so I, they're saying that their goal for this is they want to ensure access to affordable reliable modern energy services which okay um Smart meters. That's all I'm going to say. Those that live in the US. I don't know if you in the UK have them yet, but they're coming. Increase substantially the share of renewable energy in the global energy mix, which now we're hearing about what? Bruce, you and I talked about the other day. I'm getting advertisements thrown across on my phone to uh, goodbye oil. Hello, e-fuels. Right. That's what I'm seeing. So this is they're going to start transitioning everything. Double the global rate of improvement in energy efficiency. Okay, that right there, I'm on board with. I'm on board with. If you can double up the amount of efficiency in producing energy, that's great. That's real innovation. But anyway, okay, your your guys' thoughts on uh, on clean energy here, affordable and clean energy. That's very broad. That's very broad. They're not specific.
1: I've just got one observation to, to make to begin with. You know, when you're uh, starting in, in in the Western developed world, or the developed world, I should say, when you're starting out and you buy your first home and your cooker's electric and your your heating's electric and your, your lighting's electric, then you move to a, a bigger place, you, you do up the kitchen, and you've decided that you don't want to use electric for cooking anymore. You want to use gas. Because it, 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 you know, maybe it just cooks better with gas. And then when you get really rich and you move to your big country mansion, you buy an arga, which is uh, wood fired. And uh, that's a bit aristocratic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I've got family with argas, and they're, and they're not they're not rich. It's just a really good. Cheap way of heating their house because it's got a back boiler, so it heats the water as well. Um, uh-huh. it, yeah, those are nice, it cooks nicely and, and it, it gives the, the whole kitchen a nice warm glow. Well, there's people all over the planet who are quite happy using uh, animal waste, you know, like dried camel dung or peat, even or yeah, wood Pete. that they've gathered from a sustainable source. The, the woods that are near their house, you know, uh, a tree falls down, it gets reused. Um, of course. And of course, so, everybody knows that when you say
0: renewables or sustainable source, you can't burn live wood. So it obviously it has to be dead. So yeah. uh, it's it's not like they're out there cutting down live trees to heat their homes.
1: No, but also within forest management where you've got coppicing, where you might, might be thinning out uh, a few of the mm-hmm. uh, smaller trees to mm-hmm. to give the la- larger high value trees more space then yeah so are they suggesting that they're going to stop people from using these renewable natural resources you know yes, it,
0: um i'm saying yes because the output in this case would be what it's carbon
1: right oh yeah of course but then again any production of energy has a carbon output even yes, which is, the is what cleanest. they want to shut down
0: exactly which Even, is what they want to shut down
1: yeah but you know we in the in the uk have got a couple of three nuclear power stations and we want more bigger and better new nu- nuclear power stations now obviously there is an issue with nuclear power in the the waste products you know the the radioactive elements used within fusion i think fission
3: <laughs> is fission. it fission is yep. it fission right. fission is is breaking up and fusion is fusions what our sun does we we haven't got that one down yet.
1: Okay, so so we're looking at fission reactors, and and we were very close to getting a deal done, but unfortunately, that deal was with China, and I think we're we're going to back away from that. I hope we're going to back away from that now. There's something about
0: and- that country right now that's. Uh, I wanted to talk about that with you on another uh, on another podcast, but there's something about a, a UK-China deal right now, and I think apparently you guys are pulling out of all deals. Uh, for this foreseeable future in an, in a short I
1: really I I really do yeah. hope so. Um I don't mind we'll carry on the way we are. I mean let's face it China's burning more coal every day than uh, and India is is also, you know, high coal emissions. The United States has got uh, a high coal usage. We've reduced ours down and down and down, but we're still uh, importing about 400,000 tons. Uh sorry, 4 million tons per year that, that's getting burned in, in various coal-powered power stations. So, yeah, I've I've rambled a bit, but my, my point is, well, I think from what they're saying there, they're going to try and stop people from using traditional sustainable sources of energy, and who the hell do they think they are to, to do that when big countries are still
3: polluting like crazy they're going to hit the little man where to begin okay so one one thing that marty you pointed out on one of the other points that we we talked about what what is a way to make things more efficient to to um uh, across the board with energy consumption Reduce energy consumption right That that's a, a good way to say hey we improved it, it it's better right no you just actually outpriced it for some people or uh, the the thing is, is they're wanting to use renewable energies. All right. I'm for that. Now, the thing about nuclear power is if you use a thorium reactor, number one, the nuclear waste that comes off of there is non-existent. Like a, a thorium reactor burns up the nuclear emissions on there. So it, it it's not, it, that one is safe, right? Across the board. Whereas these other ones that are using like uranium or plutonium, there is actually a process to repurpose the waste and if properly disposed of when the waste is fully spent, the emissions that it is actually putting out is on par with what uranium ore is. So it's like what naturally occurs, that's what the waste is emitting at the same levels. So as long as it's stored properly, it's not a risk. However, you still have you, you still have to store it properly. Now the problem is when they say renewable energy, they don't mean nuclear. They're, they're talking about wind and solar. Currently, wind and solar are far more expensive than nuclear, far more expensive than coal, far more expensive than wood. And here in the U.S., we've actually reduced our emissions greatly with the coal power plants by having things like improved Furnaces improved the air filtration for the exhaust and it removes, I'm wanting to say it's like 95% of any of the coal that wasn't Mm -hmm. burnt off any of the carbon that's emitted. It's grabbed and they're able to repurpose that and burn it again. So it's much more efficient nowadays. I would much rather something like that, creating what we already have. And making those things more efficient until we find something that's more efficient. Like currently, the the next phase of our energy production is going to be fusion. If the human race is able to get one fusion reactor up and running, that will power the entire world's needs at current levels. So, uh, like fusion power is like the next big thing, and it's completely renewable. Like you want to get more nuclear or uh, uh, material for it? Okay, uh, helium three. That's what they use. Uh, it's, it's a stable isotope of helium. Uh, and helium is very abundantly available. It just so happens that our sun emits helium-3 uh, as one of the um, materials that's uh, expelled. So it's, it would be fairly easy to collect that from, say, the moon's surface or have collectors in space, you know, satellite or something. And they're far more efficient. The, the, the fuel burn is, is um, sustainable so i'm for doing these sustainable reliable energy sources it's just the way that they're trying to do things is reducing consumption across the board i agree i would like reduce consumption but they're strong arming you into reducing the consumption i just looked
1: up when you mentioned thorium i hadn't heard of that as a nuclear fuel before because i haven't really paid the nuclear uh, energy world that much attention um the list of the top seven nations by thorium reserves: India, ninety-three thousand tons. Uh, sorry, nine hundred and sixty-three thousand tons. America, four hundred forty thousand. Australia, three hundred thousand. Canada, hundred thousand. South Africa, thirty-five thousand. Brazil, sixteen thousand. And Malaysia, four and a half thousand tons. China doesn't even come on there yet. We've said many times, and this is the bit that's confusing me, is that China are buying up all the Earth's rare metals. I wonder if India, being the biggest country, having more than double the next country's reserves... I wonder if if those deposits are actually in Kashmir and have you seen recently the the conflict on the Kashmir border with China Oh yes oh and yes. India and
0: mm-hmm. yes and there's also a thing there that uh, the Pakistanis are now involved in and it's yeah there's there's a uh, there's a negotiation that's happening right now but yes the Indians essentially are tired of the Chinese occupation of what's going on in the Kashmir and I it was my understanding it had something to do with uh, a freshwater water thing because they're agricultural regions in that part of China on the other side of that border, like they're taking the water from the Kashmir region and the Indians said, no, you're done. And they went in to cut them off. That's my understanding of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that may well be the case, but what I find surprising and, and quite telling is that China doesn't even hit the list. Um, it's a massive country, huge surface area, but doesn't have thorium by the looks of it. So it will continue to burn coal in its power plants. Um, It will continue to pollute. And yet no one is coming down hard on China to say, you know, stop. No one is putting sanctions on effectively anyway to stop them polluting at the rate that they are. And why is that? Are we really all that scared of China? It's simply enough, if we stop doing business with them, then they will have to clean their act up. And I am so pleased. That the british government has finally grown a pair is pulling out of these deals with china
0: the thing about china the reason that they're exempt is because all these people that are working all these deals with all these corporations and all these organizations like the world economic forum and the you know the davos group as we're speaking about and the united nations they've all got investments and deals in china that's why you don't hear anything about it see it's it's about knocking us down see they've already made their fortunes the, the elite here we're talking about, which they're not elite at all. Bruce and I were having that conversation before you came in. These are not elites. They might call them that. We might refer to them as that. But these are not elites. These are losers. These are losers. These are people that have done nothing except brown nose and schmooze their way to the top of something. And now that they're up there, they're pulling the ladder up for everyone else you know, not I'm not talking about myself. I'm not talking about, you know, you or anyone else. I'm talking about society as a whole, civilization as a whole. They've made their fortunes and they're trying to cut the rest of civilization off. They want to control the future going forward. And that means maintaining control of you and I and everyone else so that no competition ever arises. Their investments are in China. They invested way back when, end of Second World War era time, and they used that as an authoritarian system to springboard themselves into the future. So they leapfrogged Western civilization through authoritarianism because they knew they could get away with it over there and they could build it from the ground up using the CCP. That's why it was put in. That's why it was installed. And so now we're here. Now that system's going to be used to turn against us. This is the real agenda here. Forget BLM, forget Antifa. That's the left hand. Okay, that's the left hand. You're not being directed into what the right hand is doing. Right. Pay attention to what's going on over here. Don't look at this. Okay. this is where it's going. And so people need to get wise to the bigger agenda here. Someone asked me last night uh, about uh, the, you know, the presidential election and COVID and all this stuff. And I said, it's not about that. Forget that. And when I mentioned the recent, I haven't told you this, Marty. When I mentioned this whole reset thing to them, when I mentioned this whole thing with uh, what's going on with, uh, with twenty thirty and how they're going to use COVID to to bring in all this stuff, you know what the answer was that I got? What are you, some kind of conspiracy theorist? And it's it's like this is out here in the open. This is out here in the open. This is what they're openly saying that they're doing. But you're not being told about it because it's not on the TV. It's not in any newspaper, right? It doesn't exist, right? So when you bring it up, then they think, oh, you're some crazy nut because you're not paying attention to what they're paying attention to. They're sheep. They're in la-la land. We need to wake up those people. They're the ones that need to be informed. They're the ones that have families that are going to have to grow up in this nightmare if we don't stop this in its infancy. So uh, let's move on to uh, uh, where were we? Uh, Point eight here. Uh, Decent work and economic growth, because that doesn't sound, you know, uh, too broad or anything. Decent work. What the hell is decent work to these people? These people, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think they've worked a day in their lives, as far as I'm concerned. They've never actually gotten their hands dirty. All right. I'll put it that way. These people don't do that kind of work. So they they say that uh, global unemployment in 2017 was five and a half percent, down from six and a half percent in 2000. Okay, so they made a little progress there. And then, of course, uh, globally, 61 percent of all workers were engaged in informal employment in 2016, excluding agricultural sector because they're shutting it down. 51 percent of all workers fell into this employment, this employment category. And then, of course, now we get into the real goods of it. This is how they're doing it. And Bruce, you tell me this is not the Green New Deals we're seeing in the US and in the UK, I might add. Men earn 12.5% more than women in 40 out of the 45 countries with data. The global gender pay gap they get into this uh, stands at 23% globally and without decisive action. Uh, They're saying it'll take another 68 years to achieve equal pay. Okay, look, look, this idea that women get paid less, we've gone through that with the Green New Deal. Okay, I'm talking about specifically in the US here. Okay, I can't speak to the UK or or any other countries, but as far as I know, and I can tell you for a fact, I've done this work. I've looked at people's salaries within major corporations. That's all I'm going to say. And when I look at and I was this is going back 10, 12 years. okay. and when I used to look at these people's salaries for reasons, okay, that's all I'm going to say, I would find and I wasn't paying any attention to this because it wasn't the topic of agenda back then. So you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it. But now I do. Now that it's become a topic of conversation, I can debunk this just on my own knowledge and my own my own know-how. This is not true. This is not true in the sense of the United States within certain major corporations. I can tell you that for a fact. What I found, and I'm not going to mention who or sp- specific amounts or anything like that, but from what I found personally, I found that women actually were paid more in most cases, not in all, but in most cases for the same jobs. And I would see people in corporations get moved from one position to the, to the other and they would be either a male in that job or a female in that job. Same position. And I would see their salaries and I would compare. And I would always find, I would find most of the time that women in those particular roles, the same role, by the way, the equal role, I would find that women would be paid more. Now, how on earth is that? And I'm like I said, I'm just looking at the United States here. I can't, I can't speak to any other country. Maybe you can clue me in on the UK, Marty. I don't know. But in the US specifically this is not the case. Now, I I can kind of get the feeling that through all this 2030 nonsense that we're going down through, this is all targeted at the West. As we pointed out, or as Marty, you pointed out, most of these other country, major countries like China exempt. You don't even see them in any reports anywhere. And I explained why. But all of this is targeted at us in the West, in Western civilization. And I'm telling you, when it comes to pay gaps and things of that nature, it's not there. It's not there. It doesn't hold water. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they talk about in here but it doesn't hold water.
1: The West is low-hanging fruit as far as the UN is concerned. Uh, They know that we've got largely law-abiding populations that won't protest and throw their toys out of the pram when these things are foisted upon them. But the example of of women getting paid more for the same job, here in the UK, you know, we've got excellent gender equality it's it may not be perfect yet but it's still moving in the right direction as far as people who want gender yeah, that's equality a good thing that's a good thing yeah but one of the one of the areas where which on the face of it 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 definitely is a good thing mothers nowadays need to work and women might do the same job role as a man but they will do fewer hours And to make the job, you know, essentially on on a part-time basis and to make the job more attractive because they're on a part-time basis, they actually do get paid more for the same number of hours. So by the hour, they're getting paid more than their male counterparts in a lot of cases. But, you know, part of the Marxist goals of BLM and Antifa is to destroy the nuclear family, to tear down what they see as patriarchal setups. With uh, a dad, a mum, and two point four children, to them that's an anathema. Because uh, I don't know why. I don't. I don't. I don't understand why they want to tear that down. But one of the ways of doing it would be to, you know, tip the equality balance in the opposite direction, so that men are no longer seen as the main provider for a family because they can't earn as much as the woman. That reduces the number of Children they might have because if the woman's heavily engaged in a career, she's not going to be having so many babies. Maybe that's the maybe that's the goal. Tell tell me, Johnny, why do you think they want? No, you're you're on
0: the right. Yeah, you're on the right track. But it's it's essentially it's. The family, okay. The family is that's the fabric that holds society together. And without a nuclear family, without that family structure, now see the the family structure go back 50 years, okay. The family was an independent, self sustaining economic unit, it could take care of itself. Any issues you had within the family would largely take care of themselves. Every family could sustainably support. themselves. You didn't have to worry about anything else. If someone in the family had issues, then the family would get together and and deal with those issues. Now, if you don't have those, if you end up with if you promote single family homes, if you promote monogamous relationships and, and all of that stuff, if you do that, then you can tear away at the underpinning of society. You can tear society apart from the inside out. So this is why everything that we've seen over the last 70 years largely has been an attack on the family. That's what it's been. And it's also been a simultaneous attack on our institutions, such as our religious institutions. So if you couple these things together and you realize that the like this is the glue, this is the the, the foundational system that holds society together. Well, if you're at the top of society and you have a sinister agenda to destroy society or tear it down and lord over everyone, like you're some type of god, then what do you want to do? You want to destroy the underpinning of everything, and then you have absolute and utter chaos in a society. You collapse the civilization, and then you can remake it in your image. That's the purpose.
1: Yeah, okay. I th- I think I get where you're coming from, and I, I, and I think I'm starting to understand it a little bit more. Back to goal eight, though, the productive employment and decent work for all. If society... And big business and the, you know, the multinationals, the corporations were really that interested in creating productive employment for everyone. Why on earth has just about every recent technological advance been designed to reduce the number of people you require to do the same process? You know, I've I've seen it recently uh, on TV, watching a a Sunday afternoon, you know, countryside program about farming, and it's all about robot milkmaids, a robot that does all the functions inside a milking shed. You know, you're only talking about one or two people, but all of a sudden, that robot is now going to take their jobs. Automation inside. Car plants, automation inside electronics factories. Everything recently has been about AI, automation, robotics. How on earth have they got the gall to put goal eight, full and productive employment and decent work for all, when everything is set up to reduce the number of people you require to do a job?
3: Creating policies that encourage economic growth And productive employment, full and productive employment. So, if you want to have a part-time job, you're no longer able to have a part-time job because they said full there. Decent work for all. Again, I'm I'm curious, what is decent here? It's pretty pretty general. Sustainable economic growth. Tell me how a government encourages economic growth. Reduced involvement, right? When you have them involved and are taxing it, regulating it, or more or less getting in the way, it slows down economic growth. The other thing that that is concerning or or questionable is inclusive economic growth. I'm sorry if you're someone that chooses to lounge on the couch all day and stuffing your face with uh, potato chips while you're watching your favorite television show on on. Netflix hey now, or whatever. hey
0: now, I I didn't I didn't ask to be made fun of. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> if, sorry. Go ahead. I, if, 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 you, if you're that type of person and that's your lifestyle you choose to do, why is it fair for the rest of us to provide stable, sustained economic growth for you? Why should you be included in that if you're unwilling to partake in it, if you're unwilling to work to provide for yourself? You know what I'm saying? So I'm curious what their intentions are here, because obviously the things they're saying here are very deceptive. You can can go many different directions, some of which are good. Like I said, sustainable economic growth, get out of the way. You know, if you get government out of the way and let economies, let the market freely grow on its own, just let it go, it'll grow. I mean, there'll be ups and downs, obviously, because you know, a business will rise and a business will fall because it 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 changes with the uh, with the evolving markets. That also drives innovation, though. That's the other aspect of this. If you get government in the way, that slows innovation. Look at uh, Soviet Russia. Look at Venezuela. Venezuela's stuck in the in the like the the fifties and sixties, like with the technology they have. And you know, I'm not pointing them out to be you know mean or facetious or anything. I'm just pointing out. When you get government involvement, more government involvement is not good for the market. What I would like to see as far
1: as government involvement is concerned, if you look at places in, you know, the slums of Sao Paulo in, in Brazil, where you've got kids picking through rubbish to collect recyclable materials that they can then go and sell, I'd like to see the governments turn up, give those kids proper protective equipment, you know, gloves, masks whatever they needed so that they were safe for whilst doing it, and organize it, give them tools if necessary. Slowly but surely take the kids out of the equation and put the adults into those jobs where you've got this huge recycling process. Those materials might have a very low dollar value, but they still have a dollar value. And if they are recycled in a organized and efficient manner, then that is productive employment. There are parts of the world where there simply isn't industry. They're simply that they've got nothing to offer. So what they have to do is look internally and see how they can improve their situation and the standard of living of, their, of the very poorest of them. That would be one way in which government could get involved. But do they? No. Here in the UK, we're supposed to be recycling everything, but it's a postcode lottery um, or zip code lottery for American listeners. Some areas you can recycle just about everything. Other areas, you're still limited to, to just a few types of material. Those are the areas where government could get properly involved and spend some of our tax money on sorting those sorts of things out.
0: And you had mentioned there about uh, countries doing things as far as turning those uh, resources and that management inward in order to do this. But a lot of these countries that you're talking about, such as you mentioned uh, Brazil there, uh, which I mean, that's kind of a that might be a little bit of an exception. But if you look at some of the other countries we've talked about, they really don't have much in the way of an industrial base, especially in parts of Africa, where you have countries like China, they go into those countries, they will make the deals for... For mineral and resource extraction, and they'll build infrastructure. Well, this goes along with the next part here, which is step nine, industries, innovation, and infrastructure. Build resilient infrastructure, promote sustainable industrialization, and foster innovation. Now, they're talking about resilient infrastructure. I'm not entirely sure what all that means if I had to guess, I'd say it might be something along the lines of those composite roads that they use out in California. Those I understand are very nice, actually. And GP's actually driven on some of those before. Promote sustainable industrialization. Well, we talked about industrialization in the West as far as as it relates to like coal burning. Well, okay, our systems here in the West across all Western nations, it's not just the U.S., but that includes Canada and also Europe as well. We have clean burning systems, right? That is sustainable industrialization. Most of the carbon that comes off of that can be repurposed and reused and burned off again. What we have, when I say clean burning systems, what comes out of those stacks that you see that they promote on TV and in the papers all day of all these stacks going up, all that is is CO2 and water vapor. That's all it is. It's not like there's big billowing clouds of black smoke. Go ahead.
3: No, no, not CO2 and water vapor water vapor. Is it just water vapor? There it's just water vapor. There is no CO2 that's the carbon that they're bitching about. Yeah, but I thought the I thought we still had some carbon get through that didn't get scrubbed off. That's not really fair to say because the the amount that gets through is a is a decimal.
0: Okay. All right, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. So, most all right, then most of that comes out as water vapor. But they show it on TV and they promote the agenda like, "Oh, look at all this horrible pollution that's coming out." But it's not. If you were to look at the air quality in areas of the world like China, areas of the world like India, where the industry has been exported, they don't have those regulations. So even if you go by the numbers that we're being told about here of how we need to, quote, reduce all this, where's the same restrictions being applied? If it's so desperate, if it's so dire, if it's so necessary for us to do this in order to, quote, save the planet from imminent destruction, which I think we're all supposed to die in, what is it now, six years? So if it's so... Prevalent that we do this, then why is every country not held to the same standard? Oh, it's because the people that are promoting it have the investments and the businesses and control the industry in China. That's why. Hypocrites. And foster innovation. Governments are going to pick winners and losers. But as we reviewed in the... Uh, Emerging Pathways document from the World Economic Forum, it's not even the governments that are going to foster innovation. It's going to be those fools up there at the World Economic Forum and the UN. They're going to come up with the agendas, and the governments will be, as it's stated in the document, they will be tasked with fostering innovation. So they're going to decide what's going to work and what's not. They're going to chart the course for the future. The free market's not going to do it. No, 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 no. We can't do what works, We can't do what has been successful we can't have that. We can't have shareholders anymore. Oh, no, no. Now we have to have stakeholders. So we can't foster innovation on our own. See, we're too stupid to do that as a civilization. We can't do it. So we have to allow these people up at the top. They have to be able to dictate how that's going to work. Some of their goals here. Jump in here. Any of these goals here stand out to you? I mean, I know this is the last point we're going to to cover tonight, and I, I wish we would have gotten further, but these things just fly by. In here, it says um, like a couple of things that, uh, that stood out to me. Upgrade infrastructure and retrofit industries to make them sustainable. We talked about that in the Green New Deal. That means you're going to have to retrofit industries. That means you're going to have to mandate these new regulations on every single industry to make them sustainable or they cannot operate and they will have to be shut down. With increased resource use efficiency and greater adoption of clean, environmentally sound technologies and industrial processes, innovation can solve that. Innovation and efficiency within the market itself can solve that. You don't need a strong armed government, as Bruce put it, in order to do this. This can be done naturally on its own. Develop quality, reliable, sustainable, and resilient infrastructure, including regional and trans border infrastructure to support economic development and human well being with a focus on affordable and equitable access for all. Boy, I, th- this is also vague and it's also broad. But, uh, well, there's your EU project, uh, Marty, with all of that, which, again, we talked about the infrastructure project all across the EU and where all that tax money goes, uh, or excuse me, where all that. Um, Uh, membership money goes rather.
1: With this cross-border stuff, it's there. It's there as uh, part of their agenda. It's uh, a sub-point of a a goal, but it's so powerful because what it does is say that the UN are going to start to dictate that member countries' sovereign rights may be ignored. If there's a cross-border piece of infrastructure, the, the next thing you'll know is that the United Nations will wind up uh, deploying troops to make sure that that piece of infrastructure doesn't get damaged, continues to function, and the, the function is their goals, their agenda. Rebuild resilient infrastructure to promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization and foster innovation. Well, on the face of it, that's great. But there's parts of this planet that don't need any more industrialization. What the UN should be doing, all the member countries, in my humble opinion, with countries like Brazil and Venezuela, who are tearing down huge swathes of forest in an unsustainable way for either the extraction of minerals or for, you know, for, for timber and logging pay them. I would be quite happy if a portion of my tax money every month went to countries like Brazil so that they could look at other ways of making money rather than raping the earth for its mineral wealth and destroying basically the lungs of the planet, the rainforests. Mm -hmm. It's all gone very quiet about that. I'm not some kind of drum banging eco warrior, but we have to face facts that large chunks of forest need to be preserved and if a country is poor and has got millions of people to feed clothe and home then it's going to do whatever it has to do to to do that because that's the you know the squeakiest wheel gets the oil the crying baby gets fed that's what happens with with hungry populaces the country if it's run by decent people which let's face it most countries are not, then that's what should happen. So I'd be quite happy if the UN were just saying, we're going to pay Brazil this amount out of your contributions as member states so that the deforestation will stop and it will stop immediately. But of course, that's not going to happen, is it? That's not the game they're in. It would not even occur to them that that's perhaps what they should do. When
3: you get into upgrading infrastructure, they're promoting inclusive and sustainable industrialization yeah inclusive i'm assuming that what, what they're meaning there is uh globalizing the the indus- industry world so no longer are you going to manufacture for your country first you're going to manufacture for the world i i have issue with that personally i i think each individual country should be their own individual you look after yourself first and then see to your neighbors that's kind of a uh you know, kind of a general wisdom thing. You, you, you don't want to go into charity when you you can't sustain yourself. I'm, I'm curious what, what this uh, term means in, in 9.2. Significantly raise industry's share of employment and gross domestic product. On the surface saying share of employment, are they meaning the employee's ownership of the industry? Or are they meaning they want more employment in the industry world and less in the other sectors, service sectors, for example. I'm, I'm not really sure that one. That one's kind of vague to me. Um, I think
1: it's the latter there, that they're looking mm-hmm. for fewer agricultural people in, employed in agriculture and more employed in industry making a product. And it's just this shifting of these products around that creates wealth. That's what they're after, as far as I can see from that sentence. Also
0: stakeholder that- capitalism. Yeah, it's stakeholder capitalism. That, that's what it comes down to. And uh, you notice there at the end of that section, Bruce, it says, and double its share in least developed countries.
3: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I I could still, yeah. The wordage there, that one is is kind of a difficult one because we know they're for stakeholder capitalism. So yeah, that's where that one is a bit, you know, it's a bit gray there. What are we What are we considering industries that are sustainable? That's the other thing that that I'm I'm curious about because industries in general are. are Making products with consumable resources. What I mean by that is, you can't really reuse a computer chip. I mean, you you can't. I mean, you can you could you could strip the metal out of it, right? But because of the 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 treatment and everything, you can't really grind up a, a computer chip and 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 reforge it, if you will, like like the the base silicone of it. It's not really. We we don't really have that. So I I don't know in that sense how are you going to make that sustainable? You're eventually going to run out. So maybe, I don't know, let the market figure out a way to be more efficient there and and reuse or find a different solution other than that. Um, Or or find a
1: product that you can keep on selling to to everybody. So, um, you know, industrialization, food processing, it's an industrial process, but it relies on agriculture. And if agriculture is becoming more automated, then perhaps there'll be bigger processing plants or, or more jobs in the processing plants. But, of course, they're becoming automated as well. My cynical mind, as you were talking there about computer chips and, and so on and so forth, when I bought my first house, I I paid £10 for a washing machine that was already 10 years old. That washing machine lasted a further 15 years. Nowadays, uh, electrical goods, white goods, other Uh, you know, consumer electrical goods, PCs, TVs, sound systems, they are designed to fail just after the warranty goes. They are literally, yeah, they're they're designed to fail. The production of electronic components uh, has got to the point where it can almost guarantee you to the day when that component, a certain component within a device will fail, so people have to buy another one and another one, and another one. And and so it goes on ad infinitum. That's what I think they mean when they're talking about sustainable industry. It's, it's a product you can keep on selling because you've created the people's reliance on the products, and then the product fails, so they must buy another one. But I am a an old cynic. So, all right.
0: Unfortunately, we're going to have to end there, gentlemen. And, and I do apologize. But uh, we will pick this back up when we get you back, Marty. So the next time you're on. And I promise you, I promise you, this will not go past a part three. So we will have 10 through 17 done the next time you're on. We will do part three when we do get you back. But thank you for coming in today. And Bruce, thank you for sitting down and talking about this today. Again, I was hoping we get a little bit further. But there's just so much involved in this. And we're compressing it right we're not we're not even covering all this i bet you we could talk an hour on each one of these independently so that's how big this thing is and how massive this is again anyone who's interested in what this is this is un agenda 2030 if you haven't understood that yet and you can go to their actual website uh, un.org and you can find this Uh, particular document, or you can search it, UN Agenda 2030. Uh, And we're going over their 17 goals of what they want to accomplish by 2030. But for those of you who have not, you'd like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parler love getting all your echoes, your likes, your comments, your feedback, uh, all the above. Uh, you can follow me over there at Jay Anderson three. You can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you would like to reach out to us and you do not want to reach out to us via parlor, you can drop us a line anytime you like at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to friends and family. We're looking to grow our audience as much as possible. And your word of mouth and your loyal listenership helps us do just that. We're just trying to promote healthy conversations within, uh, within everyone's circles. And this is a topic that we have been largely looking forward to for quite some time, and we don't want to really rush through it. So we're going to bring it to you in several different parts of UN Agenda 2030. And again, we tell you exactly where to go, and we'll make reference to that every time we start. But if you could pass this along to friends and family, let them know, hey, this is the kind of thing that's going on behind the scenes, Do you because you're going to start hearing these words. You're going to start hearing these terms very soon. So the sooner you get familiar with it, the better off you're going to be to try and and, and foment conversation within the local level to try and push back on this because that's where they're bringing it in as the local level. So if you could pass us along, that would be great. Thank you very much. Also, for those of you that do rate podcasts, we would humbly ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever respective platform you listen to your podcasts on if they have a rating system. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. Marty, Bruce, thank you guys for your time tonight. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible we love you and we love freedom and independence and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas so we'll see all of you tomorrow